Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Simon, and it's good to be present with you today. I'm looking forward to Henrith summer. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> uh, friends, our, um, our passage today is seven verses long. Really, I want to frame it around this one single verse that's up on the screen right now. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. What a wonderful verse that is. It's full of instruction. It's full of hope. It, 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 it's full of care. And, uh, and it has, a, has a one being that we are dependent on. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us as we dive into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who cares. And Lord, while we wait for this season to be over, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to cast our anxiety on you Lord, help us to lean into you, help us to trust you. And I pray that right now as we look at your word that you would help us to see what a brilliant plan you have to care for us while we wait for your son to return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, metaphors matter. Metaphors matter. You know, whenever you hear a metaphor, they've got great weight behind them. Uh, life is a highway. Uh, there's many ways in which life isn't a highway. You know, it's not, it's not made of bitumen and it doesn't actually have cars on it. Um, but there is a metaphor there full of journey and exits and on-roads and speed limits and overtaking things and broken down cars. There's lots of ways that metaphor works. Uh, love is a battlefield. Uh, not many landmines in my house. Uh, but the metaphor is there. We're, we're in such a way that love is a battlefield. That's, that's where the metaphor works. In the book of 1 Peter, he's been using a metaphor uh, for you and I who have put our trust in Jesus. So remember that in the very beginning of the book, he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy, he didn't need to, but because of his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. Great promises, great mercy of God, and the great victory that's won for us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's, that's how Peter opens the book, and it's amazing. Everything just flows out of that one truth. If our, if our vision of God is of a merciful God who's given us a sure, sure future, then that frames the way that we'll live our life today. It affects the way that we live our life. And then Peter has used a metaphor, and the metaphor has been that we are aliens and strangers. So in a real sense, we're not aliens and strangers. We were born uh, perhaps in this country, or you've moved and become a citizen of this country. You're not a stranger. You're not, you pay your taxes, and you, you, you vote at, at various times and places, and you raise your kids, you take them to school. You're not aliens, you're not strangers. You belong here. But Peter uses the metaphor and says, if you have clung to Christ then this place is not where you'll be for all eternity. There's a better place. So the metaphor he's been using is aliens and strangers. Now that metaphor gives me a bit of anxiety. If I'm being told by the scriptures that I don't belong here, then the sense of not belonging it comes with it a sense of anxiety and threat. And Peter has been writing to a church who is being surrounded by threats. And he says things like, don't worry when people uh, hurl insults at you. Um, in the name of Christ, uh, but stand up for him. At the end of ch uh, chapter 4, just before our, our verse for um, today, he said these words, So then, 
those who suffer according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Isn't that a fantastic phrase? Commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. Many people will presume or assume because of lack of knowledge that Christians are all about doing good. That that's what you're here for. And because you come to church, I don't know what that makes you feel like coming to church, but really Christianity is just about doing good. Um, often when I tell my, my, rel- my extended relatives you know, what I'm doing, they, they'll say something like, oh, it's a great work you're doing. You know, people in, in, in the Kingswood need you. I go, why, why do Kingswood need me more than anyone else? Like, you need to hear the word of God. We're, our job is not to primarily uh, do good. But we are told to do good. The verse there says, commit yourself to our faithful creator. That's what Christians do. We commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. Just see that the emphasis is different there. So he's been using the, word, the metaphor of aliens and strangers. And in, that, in this world, we might feel a bit um, out of place. Where do we fit in the pecking order? He's talked in our book about humbling ourselves Um, submitting yourselves, therefore, to one another, he says, as is fitting in the Lord. That's what he said earlier in the book. Um, And he's talked about uh, what that looks like in the family. He's talked about what that looks like in the workplace. He's talked about what that looks like in the community, under the government, and and in the world around you. And now, in our chapter here, he talks about what that looks like in the church. And he uses a metaphor, a new metaphor, and it's the metaphor of sheep and shepherds. Sheep and shepherds. Metaphors matter. Uh, It's not a metaphor of kings and pawns, as if there's those in charge in the church and then the the rest of us or you who have to just do what you're told. It's not kings and pawns, it's shepherd and sheep and the images of a flock. Uh, We've been um, three, me and two representatives of your church has gone to synod this past week and we're going again next uh, tomorrow and Tuesday. And synod is a governing body for the Anglican Diocese of Sydney. You kind of think of Parliament. Uh, and, but, but they're talking, in Synod, we're talking about the governing body, some principles and laws and conducts and things that we're going to do, how the, how the church overall will interact with the, with the government around us and things like that. That is not a bunch of elders looking after flocks. That's a governing body. But here in this building here, we have all of us flocks coming to the great shepherd who is the Lord Jesus Christ and working together. So in our world, here, here's... Here's my long introduction landing right now. In our world where we are described as aliens and strangers, in this building we're described as flock who are gathered together. We belong here. And we're gathered here so that we can care for one another. In our verse here it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And I'm going to go through those four um, parts of that verse right now. He says, first of all, humble yourselves. This is actually an act of maturity. It's not an act of weakness to humble yourself, where you might let other people take the lead for a while. It's not because they are better than you or more productive than you. Or, you know, it's because you have chosen in, in this time and space to be to humble yourself. Humble yourselves, therefore. Uh, in verses, uh, verse 1 to 4, he talks to the elders in the church. Uh, it's not weakness um, to humble yourself. It's actually a sign of maturity. And to the elders, he talks about um, being humble. Let me explain to you. Verse 1 says, 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Just think for a second, who is it that's writing this letter? It's Peter. It's the one who was called Simon and Jesus renamed him to Peter. And he said, Peter, you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church. Peter was one of the first, maybe even the first disciple who was called. He was one of the first four who were called by Jesus. He walked with Jesus the longest. He um, disagreed with Jesus and was rebuked by him. Uh, he uh, walked on water with Jesus' permission and strength and power. This is the Peter who, um, who, who saw Jesus arrested and went to trial, who saw Jesus buried and then on the third day, he saw the risen Lord Jesus. He was the one who was welcomed back home after betraying Jesus. Jesus, Jesus welcomed him back, uh, um, forgave him and embraced him back in the community. This is Peter who right here in chapter 5 verse 1 could say all sorts of things to boast about his position in the church of Christ. Right here, if there was anywhere in the Bible where the word Pope should be used, this is the verse that it should be. But he says, I am a fellow elder. You see, in our church structures, we do have what looks kind of like a hierarchy. You know, um, ministers and bishops and archbishops and so on. It's, it, it is, there's a sort of a hierarchy, but really it's a very flat plane. Uh, there was a beautiful moment in Synod this week where, um, where the archbishop didn't do anything wrong, but there was a procedural thing. It, it, it caused tension in the room. And, uh, and the tension was, was, uh, was dealt with and we carried on. Uh, and, uh, and to relieve the tension, the man who was probably, probably put out the most in the, in the room because of the uh, proceedings stood up and said, uh, Archbishop, can I just ask, can I still get a lift home tonight? <laughs> you see, there's hierarchy, but it's just a very flat plane. We are, we're fellow... Uh, servants um, working for the Lord who died for you and who died for me. He appeals to, he appeals to his fellow elders. He could boast, he mentions there, I was a witness of Christ's suffering and also with who will share in the glory to be revealed. But Peter says to the elders of all the churches around everywhere, he says, we are in this together. So there's a sign of humility there. Uh, but the elders in the church have some, are a proven guide to others. And this is the nature of the church, that we, we do um, look for people who God has God is, um, got something in store for them to, to perhaps lead churches. They've got proven records of, of loving the Lord, loving his word, um, being able to teach. There's the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus that go into greater detail as to who should be elders in the church. And in our church, um, I, I mean, I've got to admit now that I'm an elder. As I can't get around that. Uh, um, but there are other elders here. Uh, I want to suggest the growth group leaders. You are leading a small collection of people uh, gathered together. And praise God that you do that in such humility, that you don't lord it over um, the people who come together to your house or in this building and, and meet around the word of God. Uh, if, you are, if you've got people in your care that you are entrusted by God to look after because you are trustworthy and worthy, uh, a good example, then Peter says, be good shepherds. Be good shepherds. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrust, who are entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, he says, be shepherds, um, but be good shepherds. Uh, this is God's flock. Uh, you are not my flock. You are God's flock. And so together we are looking forward to the good shepherd, our good shepherd, to come and return to us. He's the one who laid down his life for you. He's the one who is able to forgive you of your sins. He is the one who you can talk to any time in prayer and have direct access to God the Father. You don't need a priest for that. Uh, but under God's sovereign hand, he gives us the church so we can gather together to care for one another and he puts elders, he entrusts his flock to those who would be good shepherds, not harsh, not for selfish gain, not for profit, not, for, um, not because they have to, but because they want to, because you're, they're willing, not for money or for power, but also because you're qualified, you've been entrusted and you are a good example to the flock. These are things we are to look out for. That's to the elders. To the elders, be humble. Humble yourselves, he says. And then in verse 5, he turns to uh, all of us. He says, be good sheep. Be good sheep. Verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Do you see the theme that's been running through 1 Peter? That God really does not like pride and arrogance and self-importance and charging forward to get what you need or, or think you deserve, but God shows great favour to those who will just come to him and come humbly under his mighty hand. We'll get to that point in a second. But those who come humbly before him, he shows favour. And so as a church, it's not only that the elders are asked to step up and be shepherds, but also for the rest of us to be that, be a flock, engage in the church because this is God's metaphor for caring for you in a world where you are called aliens and strangers. This is your family. This is your, this is your herd. <laughs> These are your animals. The care of God comes in the form of, of a church. And we, we, uh, we damage ourselves, we hurt ourselves, we do ourselves injustice when we avoid this flock and separate ourselves from one another. Uh, we, we are not only neglecting something, a gift for, our, for us, but we're actually neglecting a gift for the other sheep in the herd. Sorry, I'll stop calling us sheep. But a jeep, God did it first. Uh, the church is God's flock. Um, so, friends, when we're asked to humble ourselves, it's not merely that you need to humble yourselves under whatever, under the, the church um, uh, eldership, but we're ultimately, foremostly, humbling ourselves under God, under God's mighty hand. Um, when you don't know where you're going, <laughs> then follow the church. Uh, get behind a, a shepherd who seems to know where he's going. When you don't know where you're going, then be a sheep. Uh, this is not about conflict, it's actually about care, isn't it? Church ought to be defined by care. And so we're asked to humble ourselves, 
but humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. He goes on to talk about uh, this mighty hand. Now, there's a metaphor again. Uh, God doesn't actually have a hand. He's, he is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth, but we're given a metaphor of God's mighty hand. Now, what is a mighty hand mostly used for? A mighty hand is used for perhaps suppression or subjugation or, uh, or as a warrior to defeat, to conquer, but a mighty hand can also be used to care and to lift up. And that's the context of this. Well, it, I think both meanings are implied, but what we ought to do when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand is that we are coming under him, not because we must, but because we're willing, and so that one day he will lift us up. The purpose of humility, friends, is for community. The purpose of humility is community with one another and with God, that we would be able to commune with God and love him and cherish him because he is a great and merciful God. Where our ambition is not to seek power or money, but we are to seek God's kingdom, to seek first his kingdom and love that, love that we've been embraced. We were once called not a people, but now we are the people of God, says chapter 2, verse 9. And so let's be the people of God. Uh, seek the care of God in the form of a flock with a great shepherd. He has a mighty hand that cares and in Revelation, that same mighty hand is the one who will reach down and wipe away every tear from your, your eye. That's the, that's the tenderness of God's mighty hand, that he cares for you that much. The, the purpose of humility is community. Pride is all about self. Uh, love is about others, but pride is about self. It's bit ironic, isn't it, that that word pride is used in our community to make it sound like it's all about love, but it's really just about self. Um, but that sermon's not about that. Uh, pride opposes God and receives the same in return. Pride opposes God and receives the same from God in return. That's verse, uh, verse 5. God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Uh, he has a mighty hand and it would be just foolish to get in an arm wrestle with God, wouldn't it? But what we've been asked to do is rather than wrestle with God, actually come under his protection and love it. It's, it's a wonderful, mature thing to, to submit yourself under God's, God's mighty hand so that, uh, thirdly, he might lift you up. This is, the, this is our, our hope, isn't it? The hope that is for all eternity, that he might lift you up. The hands are strong, but the hands of God are loving. He said in verse 4 when he was talking to the elders, he said, and when the chief shepherd appears, because that's our hope, we're looking forward to that day when Christ will return. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 4, we are told that it's kept in heaven for you. God has, has a future for you, where you will be lifted up, restored. Why do we know this? Because, Jesus, because God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners, to bring you to God. That's why we're saved, so that we could be brought to God. And in this world, in this season, we're brought to God by coming together as the people of God, to love one another, to, uh, to submit to one another, and to encourage each other even more so while the day approaches. God shows favour. 
uh, in verse 5, we've already noted, this is what God, this is the, the hope that we have when we fall under the mighty hand of God that he may lift us up in due time. And so we're told then in verse 7, this beautiful, beautiful verse, verse 7, to lean on God in prayer and in faith. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Kirk did us a great service. and I'm looking forward to seeing those 16 cards that we can uh, pray together uh, and, uh, and be reminded that when we feel uneasy in this world, when we feel the weight of that metaphor of aliens and strangers, we know that we are not aliens and strangers to God and so we come to him, we cast our anxiety on him. Um, casting out, what, what do you do when you're casting something? I, I think of fishing, and you cast out that line. And I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, but I'll, this is what I would say if I was a fisherman. You cast it out as far as you can because you want to get out, out to where the fish are. When you cast out, you're throwing that, those, those, those anxious thoughts to God, but we're throwing him not just into an empty lake to get them off our mind, we're throwing them onto a mighty creator who has a mind and can care. He has, the, he has the mighty hand, the mighty hand of God, and we're casting our anxiety, our thoughts, our, our prayer life is focused to him. Prayer is not just some form of simple meditation that alleviates our anxiety. It's good to be mindful, that, that idea of mindfulness, but how amazing is it that we can take all of our anxious thoughts, package them up and talk to our Father who we know loves us and say, Father, this is what's on my mind today. This is what I'm wrestling with today. This is what I'm scared about today. And I I cast it to you. I, I give it to you. And I humble myself under the mighty hand of God that I might be lifted up in due time. Friends, I, I, I want to. I, I find uh, I find prayer um, comforting, but hard. I want to encourage you uh, with uh, alongside me to to exercise your prayer life. I, I'm blown away all the times when I do feel anxious about something, and I don't just pray generally vi- vaguely to God about it, but I actually name it and give it to Him. And I'm and I'm so slow to learn. Because I often get surprised that that prayer was answered. And I go, oh, I mean, I, I preach that God is alive. I preach that God is merciful. I preach these kind of preach that we pray for him. But I still get surprised when I say, when I talk to my Heavenly Father and say, this specific thing is bothering me and I don't know what to do about it. Or I'm just scared and I have to go and do it. Can you be with me? And God, God turns up. God does it. So let, let me encourage us all to, to spend more time with God in prayer and be specific. Talk to him as if he's actually real, because he is, because he is. Friends, we, we want to humble ourselves uh, under God's mighty hand. He is strong and powerful, but we're going to humble ourselves under him, not because we, we fear him, but because, because we fear him, we will come under him, knowing that Christ has paid the Christ for our sins, we come under his mighty hand as not a a judge who is ready to pick on us, but as a loving father who sent his son into the world to die for you. And so that's the hand that I want caring for me. While I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift me up in due time. That's our last point, in due time. In the right season. 
when the time is right. Now, this can be a temporal thing. It may be that Peter's writing to the church who at that time is under great persecution uh, around them and that we, the, Peter says, cast your anxieties to God because he cares and he'll lift you up in due time. There might be a season just around the corner where that persecution will be alleviated. But friends, we don't know the future. We don't know how soon persecution will be coming towards us and we don't know how long it'll last for. But we do know that when the chief shepherd returns, then we will be absolutely lifted up. Our, prayer, our season of alienship and strangers in this world will one day come to an end, where that metaphor means nothing and it will never ever mean anything ever again because in a season yet to come, there's a season down the road when God's timing is just right that Christ will return and he'll bring us home. And that is what we're hoping in, isn't it? That's why we come under his mighty hand because we're, looking, we're longing for that day. We're longing for a day when Jesus will appear and we'll see him face to face. We have not met him and yet we love him. That's what Peter said earlier on in the, in the, in the book. We, we love him even though we've not met him. Peter has met Jesus and he's longing for that day entrusting himself to God for the day when, when Christ returns. When he appears again in all of his glory, we'll see everything that we, that we have imagined about him and it'll blow us away even more than we've ever imagined. And what even, what's even more exciting is that when he returns and reveals all of his glory, he'll say, come to me, good and faithful servant. Come to me, all who have not been proud but humbled themselves under my mighty hand and I welcome you into the kingdom and look at what I've made you. Look at the glory that you shine right now. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that if you knew, if you knew the person next to you who is a Christian, if you saw them now the way that they will be in the future, you would be inclined to bow down and worship them right now. That's an, that's an impressive way of describing our hope for the future. Uh, God's work in us is not done yet. We look forward to the day when not only his glory is revealed, but he will bring us fully into his glory. So we are in a season. We need to remember that this season that we're living right now is a season where we are aliens and strangers in this world. But friends, God has given us a method of caring for one another. And that method is the church that we love each other equally. We love each other, we care, we look out for one another and we, we submit ourselves under the word of God and, uh, and together uh, embrace eternal life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we recognise that in this world we are broken and imperfect uh, we, we thank you for the place we have here of... Um, of caring for one another as a flock. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand the joy that that is and the, the challenge that it is to truly love one another deeply from the heart. Lord, we want this and we pray you'd help us to grow in love and care for one another. Help us, Lord, to look forward to the day when Jesus returns. Help us to always be pointed towards Jesus as our great shepherd the one who died for us, the one who we follow, the one who we can't wait to see face to face. 
Lord, fill us now today with the joy of serving you and loving you. We pray for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.